0: The Judo Chop Suey podcast is presented by Health IQ, a life insurance agency that helps health-conscious people lower their rates on their life insurance. Are you someone who takes care of their health and fitness and takes special care of themselves through proper nutrition? Do you lift weights or take part of a physical activity like Judo? And I'm sure many of you listening do then visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to learn more about Health IQ's special rates for active people like you and me. 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ customers. So if you want to learn more about how Health IQ can help you save on your life insurance, visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to get a free rate quote, and to learn more about Health IQ's special rates. Greetings and salutations, everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, As always, Judo Dave Roman. How you doing? Hope all's well with you guys. I can't say the same for myself. I am dealing with quote-unquote low back pain and back spasms. But come to find out, my problem is not actually with my lower back, but it's with this uh, part of the muscle, part of my hip muscles called the gluteus medius muscle, which I just learned this just a couple of days ago. So I'm actively treating that area but boy is it really painful it is spasms but it's really there because you know a lot of people I've had people tell me in the past oh you you know you got back spasms means you have a weak core well it's not necessarily my core that's weak there are other muscle structures and stuff that that certainly are weaker than others and I probably have some imbalances so now that I know what the problems are I'm going to look to fix them and and be proactive in making sure that this doesn't happen again because it's almost like clockwork for me. It seems about once every nine months or once a year or so, right around that kind of time frame. I deal with this issue. I get back spasms and it usually lasts for a month. I don't think it's going to last a month this time because I'm being more proactive in treating it properly, but but yeah, it's, it's very painful. I I did not I it happened last Wednesday I I skipped going to judo on Friday just to try and get it ready and and yesterday I I went to uh to train with Judo Joe doing the no-gi judo and doing nage no kata and I was in a lot of pain but probably less pain uh than I would have been had I practiced on Friday night so it, it's very important for me to a lot of times I don't have an opportunity to work with a bunch of different adults. So Saturday workouts for me are, are very important. So I opted to do that. And I had a good time. I mean, I still had the back spasms. I was still training through some pain. and But that's just how it goes sometimes. I'm sure some of you know that. And, you know, speaking of that, I remember seeing Travis Stevens talk about this uh, probably sometime last year in a video he posted on his blog about you know, training through pain. There's a difference between training through pain and training with injury. And, and I think it's important, and I agree with Travis, that if you're in a lot of pain, let's say like a broken toe or even in my uh, my uh, situation with back spasms, I, I really think it's important to try and find a way to train through that and, and not take you, you, what a doctor would recommend you take six to eight weeks off or something like that until it's fully healed. I think there's value in learning to train through pain, and certainly not injury, because that that I've done before, and I've got permanent issues that that'll never really be the same unless I had some kind of corrective surgery. But training through pain, it, it can really test one's metal, and I and I think it's important for your metal to be tested every once in a while. So enough about my back spasms and such. I want to get to the podcast. On this episode, I have a very special interview with a uh, fellow by the name of David Ellis. He is an IJF uh, B certified referee and we're going to have a discussion about his career as a referee and and how and the steps that he took to get there and and hopefully some of you guys can glean some information on if you ever had any interest on becoming a referee, how what that process looks like. There's some very surprising things that I'm going to talk a little bit about after the interview that I, I need you guys to hear the interview first before I, I dish some of my uh, opinions. Not so much opinions, but but thoughts on the interview itself because I, I thought it was fascinating. Mr. Ellis was one of 50-plus referees that attended the U.S. Senior National Tournament. And I'm going to discuss some of the results of that tournament because, hey, it's our national championships for judo. So I think it's important to discuss that. And and I will. I'm going to highlight not everybody, but I'm going to highlight some of the divisions and give some props to people who are well deserving. Including a very special listener. And there's always a housekeeping items, which I'm going to get to in just a moment. I there's a MMA fight I want to announce, and there's a WWE fight I want to announce. So not not any of my fights. <laughs> I don't do any either of those. So with that, I'm gonna get right to the housekeeping items. For those who may be new to the podcast, the housekeeping items are is a section of the podcast where I really talk about. Anything but judo, and I use a section to talk about things I'm watching in, on TV or the movies or or things like I just teased a moment ago. It's something that relates to MMA or WWE or or in this instance, well, not so much in this instance, but in other instances, if there was some kind of a, a big Brazilian Jiu Jitsu event or or something along those lines. This is the part of the podcast where I discuss those things. So I want to start off talking about Deadpool 2. Now for the regulars out there, I don't know if I, I can't remember if I've ever, ever talked about my thoughts on Deadpool. Uh, the first one that came out, gosh, about two years ago already, right? Well, I wasn't a big fan of Deadpool. And I thought it was entertaining. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was a good movie. But there was a lot of sophomoric things that kind of surprised me about it. And I, I just didn't find it funny. I, I It just... For me, I think as I'm getting older, things that I used to find funny, like like farts or whatever, <laughs> I don't really find funny anymore. Like I like, you know, let's say 10 years ago in judo if we're doing the waza and somebody farts, like I used to think that was the funniest thing. And like now I just like, you know, whatever, I just want to I just want to keep training. I don't I don't care if you farted. Like that's kind of how I feel about it. And that's kind of how I felt about when I watched Deadpool's uh the, the first movie. But this one it had some of the same type of humor but I don't know it was so much better i I love this movie and a lot of the maybe maybe it's because I was already prepped and now I know what to expect out of a Deadpool movie but it was excellent I was pleasantly surprised there's a villain I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna give it away in case a lot of you haven't seen it yet there's a villain that I didn't expect to see in this movie that I just thought they did a phenomenal job with. And they've done this villain in a previous X-Men movie, but I that was very underwhelming. And seeing what they did with this villain was very overwhelming. And and it, I think they got it right. And, and that's always important to me because I am a longtime comic book fan. It's important to me to see that the movies get a lot of the characters right. Which in some ways is really good because they got a lot of characters especially the x-men movies got characters wrong um uh, in, in previous iterations like x-men origins wolverine well deadpool was in that movie but boy they got that one wrong i mean really wrong so it's it's almost as if this deadpool uh series of movies is is kind of a, uh an apology to the fans for putting out that piece of garbage so this movie was excellent it was I I gotta tell you, toward the end, I, I almost I almost uh maybe want to tear up a little bit. I didn't, but it almost did. It, it almost got me. That's that's how uh that's how good I thought the ending was. And it was an excellent movie. And if you go see it, you gotta stay for the end credits, of course, because it's very entertaining and very well done. Now, somehow I missed this. This story that I'm about to cover, I missed this for my last episode. I had a lot of things that I covered in the last episode of my podcast, but I did not see this item until after that podcast was released. And about this, I saw it on ESPN, not not one of these uh, uh, minor MMA news reporting websites or news aggregator websites. I saw this right on ESPN. Kayla Harrison, it's been announced, is going to make her... MMA debut, and I got this from ESPN, it goes, Kayla Harrison, a two-time U.S. Olympic gold medalist in judo, will make her mixed martial arts debut against Brittany Elkin on June 21st in Chicago. The Professional Fighters League, formerly known as World Series of Fighting, announced Harrison's debut on Wednesday, and that would have been on May 2nd. The promotion has not yet announced Elkin as her opponent, but sources confirmed to news uh, so sources confirmed that uh, news to ESPN following a report by MMAfighting.com, and MMAfighting.com is not one of those minor MMA, uh, aforementioned websites. The PFL event, uh, the PFL two event will take place at Chicago Theater. The event will also feature former Bellator MMA champion and UFC veteran Will Brooks, Harrison. Twenty seven, won Olympic gold for the U.S. in twenty twelve and twenty sixteen in the. Uh, under 78 kilo uh, division, her MMA debut will be contested at 155 pounds. Harrison expressed some reluctance to, tr- to transition to MMA, citing certain aspects of the sport she wasn't keen on, but ultimately signed with World Series of Fighting in October 2016. Born in Middleton, Ohio, Harrison is not the first high-profile female judoka to translate her skills to MMA. Former UFC champion Ronda Rousey won a bronze medal at the 2000 Olympic Games. Uh, Rousey, of course, went on to become the first and most popular female fighter in UFC history. The rebranded PFL promotion is in the process of launching its first quote unquote season, which will accumulate in a playoff style format at the end of the year. So I'm sure there's some of you out there just shaking your head at Kayla Harrison doing MMA. I am not one of them because I feel that if you built your life and your career to be an athlete that you got to make... The most use of your physical gifts. And I think for Kayla to, to transition into MMA is a good way to go. And I'm sure many of you will disagree with that. And that's okay. I, I, I don't, you know, that's not a point that I'm willing to argue with a bunch of people over. But I guess my only thing here is why did Ronda Rousey get an opportunity with the UFC and Kayla Harrison did it. Maybe some of you guys that really know MMA could answer that question. Perhaps it's because the women's division and MMA just really got better over the past five years and Kayla's skills just isn't quite there yet. And maybe Dana uh, maybe Dana White has talked about this in the past, but I, I'd kind of be curious to know what did Dana White see in Ronda Rousey that... Previously to that point, he had not seen in any other female athlete, you know. And we all know that Ronda Rousey is very accomplished in judo, but I mean, look, there's no, there's no denying it. Kayla Harrison is even more accomplished, and I'm just curious why she didn't get that same type of opportunity. And look, the UFC can do whatever they want. I mean, that's that's their call. I'm just, I'm just kind of talking out loud and wondering out loud why Kayla Harrison. Wasn't afforded the same opportunity. I mean, she's very personable. She's very charismatic. So it seems. I mean, she she um, and I mean this respectfully. She looks good. She looks good on camera. Uh, she's you know she's very pretty. Perhaps Kayla's charisma just doesn't translate well for you UFC viewers. I, I I don't I don't really know. But it's just one of those things I've always been curious about. And now speaking of comparisons between Kayla Harrison and Ronda Rousey, I would like to congratulate in advance. Ronda Rousey for winning the WWE Women's Championship from Nia Jax. Yes, you heard it right here. I am predicting that. I know that's going to make the marks in the the internet wrestling community extremely upset. Going to say, oh, Ronda Rousey didn't pay her dues. Bull crap. The WWE did not sign Ronda Rousey uh, to all that money and and bring in such a high-profile athlete to do a job to Nia Jax. And look, don't get me wrong, I actually like Nia Jax. I think um I think she's worked hard and she's very beautiful and I think she's a great champion, but look. People aren't well, people don't buy pay-per-views. People aren't going to watch Money in the Bank to watch Nia Jax win. They want to see Ronda Rousey win, and if the WWE is smart, they're going to they're going to have her win that uh, that title. So Money in the Bank is going to be happening on uh, June 17th in Chicago, uh, coincidentally. Uh, along with uh, Kayla Harrison's fight a few weeks earlier in June and I'll continue to have my WWE subscription membership until then but then'm I'm, g- I'm gonna cancel it on on June 18th because I simply don't watch it enough and 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 I've railed about this before that the wrestling today is just not the same as it was in the 80s and 90s for me and and that's what that's what I love and that's just not what I'm seeing anymore so there's no sense in me continuing to give the WWE money. Anyway, what's next? The USA Judo Senior National Championships. This event happened last weekend at the beautiful location of Round Rock, Texas. Actually, I have no idea if it's beautiful. I've never been there. It sounds beautiful, so I'll just leave it at that. Now, I did not get a chance to see really any of this tournament because, well, it it wasn't broadcast. So I've managed to watch a couple of matches on YouTube of of that was posted and but I don't have anything to report other than the actual winners of each division. It's my understanding the turnout was a little bit low um just like it was last year. At least that's what I've been told. Maybe um at least on Saturday maybe about 300 plus competitors across all weight divisions across all uh Category divisions, what I mean by category divisions, apparently they had a novice division and a brown belt only division. And of course, you had the veterans division. So when you include all of that, I I think there was about 300 plus people or so. At least that's my impression. I I could be very wrong on that. On USA Judo's website, they said they had 460 participant registrations. But that I'm guessing includes the Kata Clinic and the Kata competitions that happened on Sunday. Which, for some reason, I do not have any results for. I'm probably missing it. But I would like to give a a hat tip to all of the winners in each division. I'd like to read those names out loud. So here goes. In the under 44 kilo division, which I did not know there was an under 44 kilo division. I thought it started at under 48. Alexandra Wilson won the under 44 kilo division on the women's side. And I hate to say, but it's my understanding that she was the only participant in that division. But hey, you you nobody else shows up in your division and you you win it. I mean, what 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 do you want? Not gonna expect it or take the uh, over 78 kilos. So that might have been fun. Anyway, the under 40 48 kilo division was won by Alexa Silao. Hopefully, I got that name right. The under 52 kilo division was won by Elaine. Aban, uh, the under fifty eight kilo division, uh, was won by Angelica Delgado. That's her fifth national championship. i we're all in the United States side familiar with Angelica and her accomplishments. The under sixty three kilo division was won by Alicia Galles, who's that's her second national championship. The under seventy kilo division was won by Chantal Wright. The the under seventy eight kilo division was won by. Nefeli Papadakis, who that's her second national championship. And in the over-78-kilo division, somebody we many of us are familiar with, Nina Kutro-Kelly won her eighth national championship. Gosh, that, that's got to be pretty close to a record, I, I would think. Moving on to the men's side, the under-55-kilo division was won by Max Antonio. The under-60-kilo division was won by David Agoglia. The under-66 kilo division, a, a surprise winner, at least for me anyway, was Ala El Idrisi. And the reason why that's a surprise, because if I was a betting man, uh, hell, I am a betting man, but I didn't bet on this contest. I would have bet Ryan Vargas to win that division. It's my understanding he came in second. The under-73 kilo division was won by Brad Boland. That's his sixth national championship. The under-81 was won by... Uh, Somebody many of us are familiar with, he's had a pretty good year last year, the IGF World Tour, Jack Hatton. That's his second national championship. The under 90 kilo division was won by Alfred Brown. The under 100 kilo division was won by Nate Keeve. And the over 100 kilo division was won by Akbar Iminov. And that's his third national championship. Now, from reports. <laughs> I'm not ripping on anybody, I. but it's my understanding the over 100-kilo division was not really all that entertaining to watch. But the, from what I saw in the participation list, the under 73-kilo and the under 81-kilo divisions were stacked. There was a lot of entrance in those divisions, which I find very interesting. I guess because I would have figured the under 60 and under 66-kilo divisions would have been The divisions that had the most amount of participants. But no, it happened to be be those two other divisions. Now, I'd like to highlight a very special win on the veteran side of things in the Veteran 3 Under 90 Kilo Men's Division. A Mr. Jonah UL of Oakland Judo won his division, which, if I'm not mistaken, means that Jonah UL of Oakland Judo is now your Veteran 3 Under 90 Kilo National Champion. I'm the winner. Yes, you are, Jonah. and Rumor has it you were screaming that in people's faces all over Round Rock after your victory. Told, uh, from what I understand, you took a victory lap around the auditorium and and were screaming that I'm left and winner. right at anybody that would listen. Now I'm sure the longtime listeners of this esteemed podcast recognize that name. He's been a guest on the program. He sent me numerous voicemails. He's he sent me numerous emails. He's a friend of the show and 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 a good man and and um, I wanted to highlight this. I thought I saw his matches. His really were the only matches that I watched, along with some others. But but I definitely watch every single minute of his matches because he was kind enough to put them on YouTube, and he fought very well. Won by a couple of arm bars, showing off his purple belt Brazilian Jiu Jitsu skills. And he fought well, so congratulations to you, Jonah. Oakland Judo's got a coach that's also a national champion. Do they, do they call them national champions in the veterans divisions or just winners? I, I don't know. You know what? You're a national champion to me because if a girl can win the under 44 kilo division with nobody fighting against her and she's a national champion, then you're a national champion. So congrats to you, Jonah. Well done. Now, speaking of the national championships, I would like to bring in a guest at this time. My next guest has been a referee in judo for over 30 years. He has been a fixture in Florida judo for right around that time, about that long. He has recently become a certified IJFB referee, and he was at this last weekend's uh, Senior Nationals. Ladies and gentlemen, like I'd like to introduce Mr. David Ellis. <laughs> David, it's great to have you on the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. How you doing this evening? Okay, Thank you for for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to uh, to come on the show. Can you tell a little bit about uh, about yourself and um, you? You know, you I, I know you are a godon. Is that correct? Yes, I just recently got
1: my godon last April of last year, two thousand seventeen.
0: Oh, uh, congratulations! I, That's fantastic.
1: Thank you uh i started judo when i was seven in june of 75 so i've been doing it now for 43 years i've been refereeing since approximately 1984 uh, and uh, doing kata and my dad and i have been several times state champions in uh, katas within florida oh wow
0: that's fantastic I saw I saw your judo resume. I, I, for, I mean, I, I don't know your father, obviously, but I, I kind of assumed that might have been your brother, but that was your father. Wow. Yep. So you grew up in a, in a judo household, I take it then.
1: Well, my dad had a semester in college, and then when he restarted down here at Patrick Air Force Base, I started and my mom started. And then later, my sister joined. Uh, the interesting fact, though, is I'm the only one still in judo at this point due to right reasons
0: patrick air force base that's uh that's by satellite beach right yes okay yeah i was i was out there last year um we're uh, visiting some family out on out the uh out there so I, I drove right past it so yeah all right i know yeah i know exactly what that is I, so there so there was an air force uh judo club there is that it and was your father in the military My dad was in the Air
1: Force at the time, and yes, at the time, there was a Patrick Air Force Base judo club. It was run by uh, uh, Patty McMahon. Uh, She was approximately 18, and then when she had to go off to college, she handed the club over to Dave Daly. And then some point after that, he, he moved off the Air Force Base and became Space Coast judo club. And then approximately 1980, my dad started up his own club. Out of the Palm
0: Bay Rec Center. Interesting. Very good. Very good. Now you had your own club out in Melbourne, correct? I had. My dad moved his club from the
1: Palm Bay Rec Center over to Indian Harbor Beach, and for a while he had the only club in the county, Brevard County. Wow. And then he handed the club over to m- me for a while, and then I ran it for a while until I got a gentleman, uh, Dave Parrott. Uh, sensei uh, who's a higher rank than me and he was retired so he could devote more time to to the club where i was not able to
0: i see i see so what so which um what club are you a part of now um over in that direction
1: Uh, it's called harbor city judo and jujitsu uh uh, the head judo instructor is dave parrot sensei
0: Okay, okay, and, he, okay. and, and you are the, one of the assistants?
1: Yeah, um, uh, we also have a sixth Don Fred Freeze, and then, then myself God uh, Godon.
0: Excellent, excellent. That's a, that's a lot of uh, high-ranking individuals there. That's good, because I, there's a lot of clubs over on this side that d- don't really have uh, uh, that kind of uh, experience in the clubs, with the exception of uh, Florida School of Judo, but I'm sure you, you know all about that.
1: Yeah, I know no Florida School of Judo real well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I saw that you um, you have certifications in teaching uh, kata with uh, naginokata, no kata, Kime no kata, and Katame no kata. Is, do you hold clinics at all?
1: I've helped run some clinics with uh, Mindy Buman, who's won uh, nationals in several different katas. And uh, I believe she's also placed internationally in in some of those katas also. I've helped her teach, uh, helped her with Naginokata. And uh, I believe also I've done, I did have a seminar with uh, Bruce Beathers, came down and we taught uh, Kimi no Kata
0: at at a clinic. Very good, very good, very good. Now, most of my listeners are not in Florida. They're all over the place. You have been a fixture in Florida Judo for quite some time. And, and you are currently, um, on, I, I believe, the, on the board for Florida Judo Incorporated. Is that What is your role in, uh, in Florida Judo?
1: What's my role in Florida Judo, Inc.? Uh, What's yeah. my role not in Florida Judo, Inc.? Would yeah. you, question to answer. Pro-
0: probably, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, right now in Florida Judo, Inc., I'm an elected executive committee uh, recording secretary uh i'm registration chairperson sanctions chairperson referee uh, secretary referee commission member uh, web author and that's just what i can
0: tell you right off the top of my head sure 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 yeah i i've known i mean i started i started judo back in in just 2005 and and your, your name has been associated with Florida Judo and er, ever since I, I stepped on the mat. So I've, I've actually uh, I met you on a few occasions. And I, I went to a referee seminar that you had uh, back in 2010. I doubt you remember that. But uh, you well, were over so on this side.
1: Area, uh, I believe uh, the fairies were helping me set that one up, if I remember. That's
0: correctly. right. That's right. That's exactly, that was exactly it. I was, I was there. That leads me to my question. When did you know you told me earlier it, it was in, in the mid eighties that you first became a referee.
1: Yeah, I was a referee. Well, the first time I got certified was approximately 1984, uh, by Mike Howman, who used to be big in the area for referees. And when he moved, uh, Betty Stam helped me with the referees. She at that time was a national referee. And, uh, I was a what they call a regional referee, which is basically a state-level referee. Um, and then in uh, 2002, or, well, 2001, a guy came down to uh, the, the USJA States in Claremont. And uh, he was the chief referee. And after a day, he says, well, you're going down to the JA States, which is down in Boca. The J. A. Juniors in Boca, and I said, "Yeah, I'm going down there." And I said, "I'll be there to work as a technical official." And he says, "Bring your referee attire." And I said, "But I'm not high enough." He says, "I'm the chief referee for that event. If we don't have enough people, I might use you." And then, yeah. So then he used me, and then he says, "Why well, are you not not going for national yet?" And I said, "Well, in 2001, uh, my son was born." I said, I want to spend time with my son, and, and I said, also, I'd, and my wife, and I hadn't, don't have a lot of money, obviously, so, so I said that, and he says, well, you might want to reconsider, and then came up here after the tournament and told the story to the wife, and the wife says, well, why haven't you tested? And I took that as, okay, it's time to go test.
0: Yeah. So in 2002, I went and tested uh, for national. So, and, and this is and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here because you you've had a very very long refereeing career, but I I really don't know anything about what it means to become a referee and what it means to become national referee. So I'm definitely hoping we can we can go down that path there. So, but before we get into that, I'm curious. Being a referee has got to be one of the most thankless jobs out there. Why did you choose to be a referee?
1: Well, part of it it was my dad instilled in everybody in our club that we had to give back after we got done uh, playing. And even while I was still playing my later Shiite days, I was a referee, and then I'd change into my gi and then go go compete. So uh, to try to give back to the sport for those that, gave to us so while it's thankless in some ways but knowing that i've been trying to be as impartial as humanly possible i feel like i've given the players the best opportunities you show me what what they know and what they can do
0: very good very good interesting thank you now now david before i continue with the rest of my questions i need to take a moment to talk about the sponsor of this podcast and that's health iq Health IQ wants to recognize your hard work and dedication to a fit and healthy lifestyle by offering you savings on your life insurance. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that helps health-conscious people like many of you listening to this podcast to get lower rates on their life insurance. According to a 2009 study in the International Journal of Sports Medicine, men who did high intensity exercise have a 35% lower risk of all-cause mortality. For women, the risk reduction is 44%. By having an active and healthy lifestyle, Health IQ can get you lower rates on your life insurance policy if you qualify. Visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to learn more and to see if you can qualify for a lower rate on your life insurance. What is it? Because you were just talking about getting your national uh, referee. What is the progression system like? at a national level, um, in terms of getting a national level referee. I don't, I don't really quite understand that. Is, is that similar to how they do the coaching levels where you're, your state and then regional and then uh, eventually national is it, is it similar? Can you, can you explain that a little bit? Okay. The lowest level referee level is a local referee and that's somebody
1: most of the time in most States. It's if you're not able to you're not old enough, or you're not able to pass the the regional rev- level tests, uh, then we m- usually make a person a local referee. Uh, so, if for some God forbid something happens to a tournament and somebody tries to sue somebody, all our referees are certified, and it helps in, in that manner. Then, uh, the regional within Florida, we go through Florida Judo Inc. You're given a written test usually at a tournament like the Sunshine State Games and you got to pass at least 70% on the test. If you do that, then you got on the mat and referee and you have the our FGI Referee Commission members trying to watch you see if you're good enough for uh, regional re- referee. Uh, for nationals, it's a similar thing. It's just a h- harder test. And higher up referees uh, that are that are looking at you at a at a national level, and then once you get national, you you got basically three levels of national, and I think now N one is the entry level, N two is the middle level, and N three is the uh, almost candidate for the whatever's next, which used to be Pan American pjcc Mm and the igf just came down and says we don't recognize that level anymore and that's part of the reason why i got uh got to go be converted from a pjcc into a igfb or also known as a igf continental referee
0: so so you were a p uh pjcc uh certified referee yes now, how did you get that certification? It was 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 it just another test? Did you have to apply for that? Uh, did you have to be accepted? Uh, were your matches evaluated before you got to that level? Well, each event you
1: go to a national or higher, they 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 rank you, or they rate you based on how you did, and you got to get high enough ratings to get up to that higher higher level, and then after you. For, a three and sometimes they even put a four out there you then they'll come around as if you hit enough tournaments and say okay you're going to go test for pjc which is another interesting story in my case because this happened in 2009 i was laid off from my job in june 2nd of 2009 and they came to me shortly after after i told the USA Judo Referee Commission that I was laid off. They said, you are going to test this year for PJC. And I said, where? They said, uh, the Disney, there's a tournament down at the Coronado Springs. I said, fine, it's, uh, I was already planning on going that, had the hotel and everything. Well, I show up there and they said, oh, we're not testing here. We're going to test you down at the Junior Open down in Fort Lauderdale. I said, okay, huh. that's fine. I was already planning on being there. And they get there and they said, no, it's going to be San Jose, California and I'm looking going. I just told you I was unemployed and you are telling me I got to go out to California. So I turned around to the then FGI president and said Jerry uh, Jerry Navarro, I said I need to be a delegate for Florida to try to help pay for part of my airfare. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to afford to go out to California and then pay pay their testing fee uh, and and if you pass then you pay another fee on top of that. Uh, there, you have a normally either written or verbal test, and then you have the on the mat test, also.
0: Right now, so you get that level of refer you get that certification. And if I understood you correctly, you said that that's you had to test for the IGF B certification because the IGF no longer recognizes the, the previous certification that you had. Did I understand that correctly?
1: Well, not everybody that's at that level within the United States was given the, the authority to, to go test. There was about 40 of us in the U.S. that were PJCC levels, and they they came back and said, about 20 of you are currently approved to go test. Uh, the other 20, uh, you either have to wait longer, or we might have a different option for you later, but right now we'd we don't have an option for you. So, t- twenty of us uh, went down to Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica, and within three weeks' notice, by the way, uh, huh. went down there to test.
0: Yeah, and I saw I saw the pictures on your on your Facebook. That's that's very interesting. Now, can you explain to me what an IGFB certification is, and not just for me, but for the benefits of the the uh, listeners that that is a continental certification, correct?
1: It's a continental certification. and It allows me to referee at certain events with the approval of USA Judo and wherever USJ Judo wants to quote, send me, uh, as long as I can fund myself most places because it's uh, most, most of our national or higher events are self-funded uh, senior nationals this year i we got a referee stipend of 25 bucks
0: wow that was actually a that's a, it's very interesting you know I'll, I'll go to those questions because i did i did have questions about that so you do not receive any sort of stipend for for these so so you just went to u.s nationals and i now i would imagine for the local and regional events that would be out of pocket but what about well, you just said the national event, you only got a $25 stipend, but what about international events? If USA Judo chooses to send you, let's say, the Cancun Grand Prix in October, would that be an event you'd even uh, officiate, or or is that event too high a level?
1: That Grand Prix are very high and very competitive to try to get into, and I'd probably have to be referring more national and higher events. In order to be selected for that, uh, that was gotcha. part of my problem. Going from trying or er, trying earlier to go to the, my IJFB was I w- wasn't hitting the the s- about six national or higher
0: events within a year due to, to to the job. So, so you have to you have a certain amount of events that you have to uh, officiate. And those are all self-funded, out-of-pocket events, so you have to travel, you know, wherever it could be, whatever those uh, high-level national events are. And and then from there, you gotta have at least six. Is that's that's what I'm understanding here?
1: Yeah, uh, they said approximately six to to be able to go up because that's how many everybody else that was at my level was hitting that at least that many to. Uh, to go up so uh, and within the state we have uh most tournaments we get a referee stipend anywhere from 20 to 25 dollars for a regular referee and then the chief referee can get anywhere from the same 20 to 25 dollars but i might get up to a hundred dollars but i gotta deal with the the coaches in between the coaches and the referees and also between the coaches and the uh, tournament director so i got a lot more
0: responsibility so right now you are an IJFB certified referee. What kind of events could you be – and this was very interesting to me because now – see, I was under the impression that now that you're an IJF referee, that the events that you would go to would be from the directive of the IJF. But that's not the case. It's from USA Judo. Is That's correct. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, for within the US, you basically got to ask if you want to go to events that accept at B level. There's certain events that don't, obviously, like the Olympics, you got to be at A level, you got to be working the circuit heavy. Uh, but a, certain events will allow a B level. You, you got to go to the USA Judo Referee Commission if you're within the United States, obviously, and and ask if, if it's okay for you to, to go to the event that you want to go to uh and i've heard that uh, from mindy who's just got her a in 2017 that she gets told every once in a while within two weeks that oh okay you're going to uh, hong kong next week to go referee some championship out there or or cancun or or wherever and it's again most of that's self-funded
0: wow wow i would have thought the ijf would would especially for these for the referees that travel all over the place that that's fascinating what
1: Gosh, you know, how, how so do you even as a referee i believe they do pay for your airfare over there and back i'm sorry can you repeat that i said if you're going to the olympics to referee i believe they do pay for your airfare there and back and your room for that event but in order to get that, you got to be refereeing on the circuit heavy for four years, basically, and work the world championships right before the Olympics and all be selected
0: by the IJF. Right. So the so the referees, even at the A level, they are self-funded. Would, would, you, would that be accurate?
1: Self-funded for some of the international tournaments, if they're a chief referee at an event or an evaluator with if the event happens to be within the United States, then I believe they get some extra funding for rooms and uh, maybe flight. I don't know. I haven't, haven't been, obviously, at that level to know exactly what it is. But uh, yeah, I've, I've heard from uh, Dr. Gary Berliner that he goes all he has to have a special doctor come in to replace him and so he has to pay this doctor and then all the airfare and everything to get out to these other countries where he referees
0: wow that that that's fascinating so usa judo what kind of events would you be with your ijfb certification that you might uh end up being uh going to for your for uh uh, either within the continent or within the country.
1: Uh well, obviously I'm eligible to referee at basically any of the national events with, held within the United States, plus sure. the US Open. And I believe the Quebec Open is one that's usually got an open invitation with a limited number of referees allowed to go f- from each country. And there's a few others within uh Canada and within the 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 the, uh, Mexico sorry
0: right 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 so when you are evaluated how is that process how does that process happen how do people grade you as a referee Is, is it just a matter of what calls they think you got wrong versus which calls they think you got right or, or is there another process involved?
1: There's a process. There's about eight or nine different criteria, including uh, one of the criteria knows gestures, uh, ones uh, procedures, ones um, appearance. Basically, uh, and they grade you. They get a the at least the chief referee in the two evaluators for a national event or a higher event if it's within the u.s to sit down and grade you and sometimes they bring in some of the other igfas that happen to be working the table with with us that day or days depending on which event it is and the greatest on each of these is he uh, middle of the road is he less than middle road or is he above average and basically sit there and grade you basically from a zero to four so it sort of goes along with the the ratings for the nationals Mm -hmm. uh, referees but then they also look at what level we currently are when they're doing that grading so so they're comparing me against now
0: they'd be comparing me against IGF continental referees interesting interesting so you get graded and how many if you want to well actually let me ask this first do you have a desire to become an IJFA certified referee
1: i believe in the wording of the last thing that i got was since i would have aged out when i hit 50 that since i did hit the magic age of 50 that i wouldn't be able to a test for b and then when they said that this conversion was happening uh, that this would be my last uh, referee promotion, so I don't believe I'm eligible to go f- to IGFA A, which is also called International Referee.
0: So, can you explain to me what you what you mean by aging out? I, I don't I don't understand that, especially because a lot of the referees I see on the IGF World Tour uh, seem to be older than fifty.
1: Yeah. Well, well, normally to test at least within the United States for IGF-B, you got to be less than, than age fifty, uh, and normally for IGF-A, you got to be less than fifty-five. If you've hit that magic age, the, the USA Judo won't let you go go test, and it might be at the IGF rule. I don't know. I just know what I hear from uh, USA Judo. Okay. But once you get that rank, it, 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 they might ask you not to, not to referee at certain events due to uh, not doing too well performance-wise as a referee. But most of the time, you get to keep that for as long as you don't do something that they ask you not to come back for. You get to keep the, that level.
0: Now, how many referees at a national level do you think there are? Um, do 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 you even have an, a a number any any idea what that number looks like?
1: I don't know how many is actually active. I know at the senior nationals we had I want to say fifty five uh, referees at it, but that one's that one they normally limit because everybody wants to go to senior nationals. So I they see. They take the first fifty five that they could get, and it says okay. Anybody else? You're on a waiting list. So if if I don't sign up quick enough at the beginning of the year and they post it and I want to go to senior nationals, which actually happened to me this year, I initially was put on a waiting list to, to even work the event because there was already the 55 people already set up. Well, some people had to cancel due to work conditions. Others had to cancel due to having a surgery or a family member issue. and enough of them canceled where they came down to me on the waiting list and says, okay, enough people have canceled. You're now okay to go. As long as you tell me today,
0: (laughs) if you don't tell me today, I'm going on to the next person on the list. Interesting. Interesting. So it seems like, uh, it, it seems like there are an, an, at least from a national level, there, there are plenty of referees to work events. I, I just I just wasn't sure if, if that was a challenge that USA Judo had. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem so if, if there are uh, what it sounds like, uh, you know, referees around the country knocking, you know, practically banging on that door to get into these events.
1: Well, senior nationals is kind of unique. Senior nationals and what used to be the Junior US Open, but now it's the US Open, uh, because almost everybody wants to go referee the, those events. So there's other events like the JOs that are normally short referees. And uh, usually the JAs, JFs are usually short, short number of referees. Uh, so they usually come up on the event and they, if they don't get enough people already responding, they say, can you please come to, to work this event? Uh, because we're short referees, and the referees that do show up ha- end up having to work longer days because there's not a lot of them. Right. Now, And state. Go ahead. We're, go ahead, David. We're, we're definitely short, short referees. I I showed up at the uh, tournament a couple weeks back, and I was the chief referee. And there's only eight of us for three mat areas.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, they must have been standing out there all day. No, what what event was that? That was. The- the uh,
1: Rattler Roundup held down on Boynton Beach.
0: Boynton Beach, okay, yeah. I, I've been I've been there once before. That's right. So, so so this is it's odd for me to ask this because this and I'm not I'm not asking about your financial situation and stuff. it seems like there's a tremendous burden uh placed on referees to come up with their own funding. So USA Judo may say you know, look, we need we need referees at this event because we're short. But we expect you to pay all out of pocket expenses for that. That's that's flights, that's hotels, that's food. I mean, that, that to me, that's like thousand, to be a couple thousand dollars for for every single event.
1: There, there's certain events I know uh, the Jimmy Pedro tournament. He offers hotel rooms and and stuff if you share it with other referees. Uh, the, what used to be the juniors open Jerry Navarro will, will put up a certain number of referee rooms. But again, if you share the referees, uh, rooms sure. with the referee. So there are certain events that are, uh, helping with the, that. And I know most of, let's see, the Liberty Bell, I got a referee stipend. I don't remember how much, uh, when I went up there last year, because I wasn't able to get, into the senior nationals so i went to liberty bell in place of that and uh, i got some sort of referee stipend so it is getting better uh but yeah it's it does cost a lot of money to go out to to these events to work
0: yeah yeah definitely wow i mean i i know i couldn't afford it not not with that kind of frequency of travel i mean i got to I, I got to plan way ahead before I can, you know, make those kind of flights. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, did you, did you go on Expedia.com or Priceline or something? I mean, is, is that that, is that how it goes? Do you, you got hotel codes that you use? or? I usually talk to
1: my wife, and she figures out through Expedia or tri- Priceline or whatnot to try to find the cheapest flights and the cheapest uh, rooms that, that are livable in. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. No, I get to. So um, I'm curious, just from a a refereeing standpoint, when you are out there officiating a contest, are you able to easily separate the entertainment aspect of what's going on compared to what you're doing as a job? So, for example, I don't know, do you sit there and say, wow, that was an incredible throw before you make the call or you're just strictly looking at, what's happening on the mat and you're focused on on the task at hand
1: most of the time i'm focused on the task at hand but every once in a while and it's usually when i end up going was that blue or was that white i go wow what a great technique and then i look down and go okay who who threw that
0: <laughs> yeah i
1: usually have to remind myself in my head uh, not only the score but i gotta remember is it blue or is it white that scored and it's just especially difficult when it uh, involves a kaishu as a counter technique. Mm-hmm. If you got one person that started the technique, and by the time that it hits the mat, the other person's got control. And sometimes both players get up thinking they've won, and i got to sort that out in my head. And that's why I usually try to say blue, 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 or white, white, white in my head. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while I'll say, wow, that was a great technique. And then I'm going, oh, no. Was that blue or was that white?
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, what you've been involved in judo for over 40 years. Do you have any strong opinions either way on some of the rule changes over the past 8 to 10 years? Or do you, you, you just kind of accept it for what it is and and you just kind of roll with it?
1: i kind of accept the rule changes as what it is uh, because i know i don't have control over the rules uh i can try to give some of the a's some feedback that might have some control over it but whatever rules come down i try to do my best on interpreting them the way i can understand them and then just roll with it based on what the interpretation is i might like it or might not like it but I got a referee to
0: the rules, so. like. Of course, of course. Do you do you have uh, any personal opinions on some of the rule changes? I mean, take you know, take your pick, whatever rule changes from this year, or maybe going all the way back to banning leg grabs, and or or at least the the initial uh, rule changes regarding leg grabs in in two thousand ten. Do you do you have personal opinions or?
1: As- as a player, I use the leg grab a lot. If somebody came in weak, I reached up and grabbed the leg and did uh, either swept the foot up to where I could grab it and then I can sweep the other one with a Uchigari or I grabbed it to try to do something like Or So uh, my natural instincts is, is to grab the leg. So if I if I'd ever gotten back into Shi'ai competition I'd have to adjust to, to the rules. Sure. That might be difficult because my natural instincts is not for that. But I I sort of understand because part of what the, if I understood the story correctly, the international uh, Olympic committee went to the IGF and said, we don't like this bent over, reaching for legs. It looks too much like wrestling. We already have wrestling in the Olympics. We don't need wrestling in pajamas in the Olympics. And so change something or, or we're going to kick you out. And that's when judo came up with the leg grab uh, issue, which according to the IGF has gotten the judo players to stand up more and less of the bent over at the waist grabbing at each other's feet
0: yeah I, I what you just relayed there i mean that that's how i've always understood how the story's gone i i i, I you know neil neil adams even you know said something like that on a on a live broadcast uh, about a year and a half ago or so so i thought that was interesting i that's what i always understood what was the story behind the, those changes um i tend to watch a lot of IGF competitions. Uh, I do it for the podcast. I do it for my own enjoyment. And uh, I gotta say, the, the changes have definitely made the players stand up, uh, uh, be a lot more postured. Um, and it does make for some, some entertaining uh, uh, judo contests, especially at the lighter weight divisions. Yes. Now I gotta just uh, probably last question here. Throughout your officiating career. Who's harder to deal with, parents or coaches?
1: (laughs) Uh, Some cases, the parents, because they don't understand what's going on. Some cases, the the coach, especially if the coach is out of date with the rules, because the rules every four years change. Sure. Uh, Usually, they don't change in the actual Olympic year, but they want, so they change it right after the Olympics and then up to that Olympic year they don't then they start not changing it so yeah it's so if you don't keep up on the rules or the interpretation of the rules which might not change the wording but the actually what they want igf wants uh, by not going to the coaches meetings or what in florida i try to have rules meetings which is both the coaches and the referees so the coaches mm-hmm. could hear what i say to the referees so they can understand the interpretations that we're going to use at that given event.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I don't get, Um, maybe I need to sign up. Do you have a, is there a newsletter for Florida judo or do you just use Facebook or, or, uh, or you just use the website?
1: I, I use the website, but I also run the Florida judo Yahoo group, uh, which is Florida underscore judo at Yahoo groups.com. And if you send a uh, subscribe I believe, or do a search on that and it'll tell you how to subscribe and I send out information about upcoming events and things that affect judo within Florida irregardless of the politics side of it
0: Sure sure I didn't I didn't realize that Yahoo group was still uh, was still active I haven't uh, I, I know I joined that thing years ago but I, I haven't been back I just uh, I usually just go to the website uh, you know org. so so you are the webmaster?
1: Yeah, I'm the webmaster for Florida Judo Inc. website, and I tried to keep uh, the, the events I'm aware of, at least in Florida, uh, on the website for the given time.
0: Sure. All right, Dave. Well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. Okay, thank you. And I'm back. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that interview. I got to say, I was very, very surprised at what david told me in regards to compensation even at the ijf level and maybe i'm just a a a cheap bastard (laughs) actually i i I know i am but man that would be very tough for me to set aside funds every year thousands of dollars to be able to travel to do these different uh, tournaments and i and I know it's important to give back to judo, and it's something that I that is important to me. As I mentioned in my last episode, I've joined AAU Judo. I've joined the Judo Black Belt Association. Being a part of that ingrained is something that I plan on doing, and that includes me becoming a freestyle judo referee at some point. I, I very much would like to do that. But even for me, it would be very tough for me to get out to all of the events i mean i probably at best at this point in my life with with four kids and and a wife and you know all the expenses that come with being a being a, a divorced person at one point or another it's uh that's a big commitment for me i probably could only do an event or two a year tops but i i guess for me the biggest surprise was at even at the ijf level those a events we're talking about grand slams World Championships, Grand Prix. I mean, the, the key events that I pretty much talk about on this podcast, that though, even those guys have to pay their own way to these tournaments and, and there's very little compensation. And to me, and I've talked about this before, if the IJF claims that they've got a billion eyeballs uh, watching their events, they're certainly not making enough money out of that. And look, I know everybody in the IJF wants to make money. That's what being a a sport is all about, ultimately. And no, I'm not talking about the traditional values of Shiite. I'm talking about putting on contests on TV or whatever uh, to, to garner eyeballs so that you're advertising your product, you're advertising your sponsors, and to me... A sport that is as popular as they claim it is, even overseas. Now, look, not in the United States, not in this side of the world. But but over there, apparently, there's a lot of viewership. And I know that the Paris Grand Slam and other Grand Slam events sell out auditoriums. They sell out stadiums. Oh, maybe not like you know football stadium size. But they certainly sell out arenas. And we've all heard... Many times people talking about the Paris Grand Slam and what kind of event that is. And I don't think uh, the the Dusseldorf Grand Slam was much different either. So it's definitely viewed, but I have to believe that they're missing opportunities to make money because at the very least, and I've talked about the the prize pools should be bigger for the athletes, but my goodness, your refs got to get paid. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but it, it it really should be something because that's a tremendous investment. And look, I'm willing to admit, maybe I just don't get it. Maybe all of these referees just absolutely love to referee. Perhaps promotions are tied to how many events you referee. I really have no idea. And believe me, I am not being critical of anybody's decision to referee. That That is not what I'm trying to say here at all it's just I'm I'm very surprised that the compensation at a national level no I'm not surprised because look it, it I me mean, USA judo is is struggling for money as it is okay maybe struggling is not the right word but I I know USA judo does not have millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in their coffers to be able to pay referees and I I get that but I I, I guess I was just really surprised at a at an international level I I can't imagine you know If judo wants to be considered, if the IJF wants judo to be considered a major sport and wants that sport to grow, it has to be supported and funded, you know, financially, across all levels, not just with the athletes, but with the the tournament directors, the referees, the side judges, you know, the people that work with scoreboards, all of that. They everybody's got to make something. And look, somebody out there who lives on the other side of the world, if if you know different, if the IJF refs are are funded in some way, I that was, you know, what David said, but I know he's not officiating IJF uh, Grand Slam events on the other side of the world. So maybe maybe they do get compensated. I, I don't know. I'm not saying David's wrong. I'm just saying, you know, maybe we don't know the entire picture here. I'm just saying I'm just very surprised by it all. All right, I think that's going to be about it for me today on this episode. Once again, I would like to thank David Ellis for joining the podcast and and answering my questions regarding how to be a referee and what it takes and his career in doing that. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can always write to me at show at gmail.com. I've got a Twitter and an Instagram, and you can follow both at judoka. And if you're on Facebook, which I'm sure many of you are, you can always do a search for Judo Chop Suey Show or Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm sure to appear in these search results in some way, shape or form. And if you're bold enough, you can also send me a friend request at uh, David Roman. Do a search for David Roman and I'm sure you'll see my handsome mug out there somewhere. This coming up weekend for me is Memorial Day weekend. I don't know. I, oh, I, I highly doubt other countries have Memorial Day, but <laughs> but in the United States, we've got Memorial Day. It's a three day weekend. And the objective of Memorial Day is to honor and remember those who have died serving our country, which is something I am very cognizant of. And it is also, at least in this country, the unofficial start of summer. Granted, summer officially starts uh, usually the third week of June. But for many of us, uh, it's the unofficial start of summer. School's out for at least everybody in Florida. At least I think so. Certainly in my county it is. My boys get out uh, this coming up Friday. So I we'll probably plan on doing something fun, I hope. Maybe we'll uh, we'll head out to Disney in one of the Disney water parks before my pass expire. But anyway, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Gangnam Style!